Hi, my name is Cecilia Puna, and welcome to this episode of Brave New Women. All around the world, there are amazing, ordinary women doing extraordinary things. Brave New Women is about giving those women a platform and a voice, and it's about changing the way that women are perceived. And it's a way of inspiring all of us to do the things that we've always wanted to do. Today, I'm talking to Ketlin Jobson, and Ketlin has already been on the podcast um, talking about her work with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Australia. Um, so, an amazing interview. And today, um, Ketlin is talking about a new phase in her medical career, which is um, is dealing with obesity. So, hi, Ketlin. Welcome. Hi, Cecilia. Thank you for having me. So the conversion from being focused purely on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people um, to obesity, tell me about that. Uh, well, about five years ago, I moved into mainstream general practice and fortunately still have a third of my patients, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. But um, uh, I was, we had a dietitian and diabetes educator working at the clinic with us and Anyway, she knew of my interest in diabetes due to all of the work I've done with Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. I mean, I'd see three to four diabetics a day. It was my bread and butter. So we wanted to um, start. We wanted to start a clinic together to do some really cutting edge medicine because I don't think diabetes is always that well managed in general practice. Anyway, so four years ago we started off um, with a diabetes clinic. It was. Uh, one, one day a fortnight and our first clinic had one person. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> As time went on, we there's some new medications became available and uh, Leanne, the dietitian, said um, be, because when you're dealing with diabetes, it's actually a lot of it's about weight loss and also then we were dealing with pre-diabetes or newly diagnosed diabetics. And what we were wanting to do was to get these people into remission, to cure them. And the way to do that is to lose weight. So we then um, just started focusing a little bit more on weight management and it's just taken a mind of its own. Um, it's just when, taken off, has it? Absolutely taken off. And, and interestingly, even since COVID, it's um, we call them the COVID kilos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're pretty busy. And, yeah, so as of... I've, I've heard uh, them called the COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so as of next year, we'll be running uh, uh, a clinic all day, one day a week. So, and it's with um, a nurse, dietitian um, and myself, and we're hoping to train up, um, you know, another doctor and another dietitian. So, yeah, it's sort of becoming bigger than Ben-Hur. And, and the other thing that's kind of happened is there are not very many people doing what we do. Uh, it's a very untapped sort of um, area. And also because what we're doing is very different from what other people are doing. There's a greater understanding of the pathophysiology of obesity, how, why, why we're or getting obese. And um, so because of that, it was actually recognised that uh, Leanne and I are doing this really quite unique um, uh, clinic. Um, I was offered to do further training in 
in obesity. So I've just completed a three-month um, mentorship with an uh, obesity expert. So, you know, we feel like we've got um, lots of, you know, knowledge behind us, but now we've also got four years of um, of treating patients and, um, yeah, it's, you know, just going crazy, mm. loving it. Yeah, so you're you're really um, becoming one of the you know big obesity experts, probably mm, in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, yes, probably. So I mean, there were thirty six doctors that were given this opportunity, and four in Brisbane. So Brisbane's got two million people. So there's only four of us at the moment that are doing this mm. sort of work. But mm. you know, obviously, we need to. I mean, and that's what I'd like to do is to you know train other people in this way so that because it it works. Mm-hmm. So, and how big a problem is it? Before we get into the solutions, just look. Let's look at the problem. Um, well, okay. So, f- first of all, you know, I can say, for example, in Australia, one in four children and um, adolescents, age two to seventeen, and two and three adults are obese or overweight. Wow, one, that is one, just amazing. Yeah, one in three adults in Australia are obese. And that's up from one in five over 20 years ago. Globally, obesity has tripled since 1976 and there are about 2 billion adults out of how many are we now? Seven, Seven. eight, seven, um, over the age of 18 um, who are overweight or obese. And uh, so, yeah, it's huge. And the thing is that obesity is preventable. Mm. Um, and so, and the, and the thing is with obesity, uh, you know, what does obesity cause? So from, it, you know, increases your risk of heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, uh, you know, um, musculoskeletal conditions, osteoarthritis, people need knee replacements, hip replacements, um, anxiety, depression, cancers, all sorts of cancers, breast, ovarian, prostate, liver. So, you know, obesity has a huge um, you know, clinical impact on people's lives. Um, they die about 10 years younger. Um, and even if you've had surgery, you still, you can can improve your um, um, life expectancy, but still be three years shorter. When you say surgery, you mean surgery for? As in, oh, sorry, bariatric surgery. So a lot of the mortality um, statistics uh, in obesity are related to the benefits of bariatric surgery so that's what what is bariatric surgery so bariatric surgery um there are three main types is surgery that um is used to treat obesity um you may have heard of the band surgery so that's where they used to put a ring around the top of the band of the stomach um then there's this gastric sleeveectomy which removes uh nine tenths of the stomach so the stomach's really small and the other one is what we call a ruan y which is basically they bypass the stomach altogether the food goes straight into the small intestine so all of them uh have degrees of success um and they're actually very interesting they do actually change the physiology of the body so that you can actually have lasting um weight loss but they don't always last is, you know, that's sort of one of the, so my clinic, we don't, I mean, I certainly refer for bariatric surgery if I think it's appropriate, but we're trying to treat people medically. And Mm -hmm. about 10% of my patients are people who've uh, gained weight um, after 
bariatric surgery. It's not failed because, and we've we've got to take these words "fail" out out of um, our language when we're talking about obesity, um, because it's actually really a it's a, just a change in lifestyle. So, um, but we can get more into that. Mm-hmm. So, so why are people why? I mean, the statistics that you've just given us are, I mean, they are horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So why has it got so bad? Well, what I always say to my patients when they come in and see me, I'll say to them, first of all, obesity is a genetic condition. It is hormonal and it's not your fault. Mm. Um, so it's got to do with uh, many things in our um, community society. So we've got an obesogenic environment. So, for example, we're sedentary because we're sitting in front of computers and then we go shopping, you've got all this um, high-calorie food. But it's also how we're taught to eat as well, which is, you know, eat everything on your plate or you won't get your ice cream and, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day and all of these things. But And I'll go back to that. So, But the reason it's become – the the real reason it's become a problem, it's an anthropological reason. We're hunter-gatherers as humans. And so our body is made for feast and famine, but we are now living in permanent feast. So our weight is controlled by the hypothalamus, which is an ancient part of the brain that controls survival. It controls the, the, the you know very important functions of the body, like temperature control, blood pressure control, reproduction and weight. Where is now, the hypothalamus? What, what is it? Hypothalamus. Oh, deep inside mm. in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somewhere right in there. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 a uh, in that well right back there. Anyway. Right in the in the sort of the <laughs> yeah. back center of the brain. Yeah, it's the a very ancient old part right in, yeah, in the center. And um so when it comes to weight control, um, we actually have eight hormones that turn hunger on and two that turn it off. So, and the way that the body works is that if we start to restrict what we're eating, the body thinks that we're dying. And so it switches on the hunger hormones and says, get back on on the savannah and get me some food now. Mm. And so, and that's why it's so hard to withstand the hunger urges because it's, a, it's the organism trying to survive, just like we hold our breath and we can't breathe. So um, so that's a, it's very important to understand that when people are overweight and obese, it's actually not their fault mm. um, because that's their body. Um, you know, they're trying to not eat so much, but their body won't let them because the body's body likes having a high weight because it says, oh, it's fine. Just waiting for the next famine. We're right. Don't worry. Mm. So, um, but then, um, but we don't want to be like that because we haven't worked out that actually the body hasn't worked out that that's not very good. Um, so, you know, I say to people, how did we get there in the first place? And so, um, Long-term control of our weight is controlled by two hormones, leptin, uh, which is released by the fat cells, and insulin. Now, um, so when when the fat cells are nice and full, you know, the leptin levels do what they do, and when the fat cells are empty, the leptin levels uh, change and make you hungry. Um, unfortunately, we can't do anything about leptin, not yet medically, uh, as in a form of treatment, that is. Um, 
and insulin is the other one. Now, insulin, most people will have heard of. Insulin is a hormone released by the pancreas in response to a carbohydrate meal. Carbohydrates are broken down in the gut to simple sugars, which are absorbed by the body, and and then the sugars run around the bloodstream, and the insulin is what gets the sugar into the cells for energy, for you know, heart, brain, muscle, etc. Um, but the thing with insulin is it's very interesting. Insulin is like a fat-making hormone. So the way we've been taught to eat is you must always have your breakfast. So we have, what do we have for breakfast? Carbs. What do we have for lunch? Carbs. What do we have for dinner? Carbs. And then maybe a bit of protein and a bit of fat. So our bodies are awash with insulin all the time. And if we've got any little bit of extra, you know, leftover carb, it's like, oh, thank you. I'll just put that straight onto my stomach or onto my hips. So we really, you know, we live in this obesogenic environment, but it's how we've been taught to eat that's also obesogenic. And the other message is that the low fat, i.e. high carbohydrate, because you've got to make the food taste good, has led to an obesity epidemic. Wow. So, 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 so these are the things that, and, and the, the message has always been eat less, move more. The body doesn't do that. The body doesn't go. It does. If you eat less, it just pours out hunger hormones, and then you get hungrier, and then people gain weight, and that's why you get the up and down of weight gain. People can restrict themselves for so long, but then the hunger hormones are just too strong. Mm. Mm. So that that's a sort of the pathophysiology of um, obesity. And so, when somebody comes into your into your surgery um, or into the clinic. How do you start working with them? Um, well, so from a process perspective, we we actually have uh, they get seen by a nurse first, and they get the measurements, and then we get seen seen by a dietitian, and then we she can look at the diet and their life and all that sort of stuff, and then they come and see me. So because I've got to do all the medical stuff, you know, past history, medications, um, and and look at the patient as a whole. Um, we do use medications in, in the clinic that we have. I mean, obviously, if people don't want to use medications, they don't come and see a doctor. But mm. if they, uh, and we don't have to do medications, we can do other stuff. We, so, but what I say to people is, I'm not going to talk about your diet. Um, be, because what we, I'm not going to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Um, we're, we're just going to start talking about, um, you know, things like, so we use different strategies like intermittent fasting. So what's good about intermittent fasting is, which I'm not sure if you know what that is, it's very popular these days. It's 16 hours of fasting and then eight hours where you get your calories. And so it's a bit like delay, don't deny. So I don't tell people you can't have this and you can't have that. I say, but you can have them but have them in a, um, this eight-hour window. And what it actually does, the fasting actually reduces your insulin levels and you move into ketosis, which is the fat-burning phase. So, But there's other ways of doing that, like low-carbohydrate. Low um, there's things like the very low-energy diet using um, shakes, um, maybe just a low-calorie diet. But these are all fine, but they're hard to um, keep up. So... Uh, we use a number of medications that are appetite suppressants, and these are very new medications, and they're very exciting because they work. Um, 
There's one, um, I'll just, we use Saxenda, we, is a, a daily injection. And there's a new one on the market called Ozempic, which is a weekly injection. And they just make it easy. Mm-hmm. They, they, you, you don't feel hungry. They, they re, um, reduce stomach emptying so you stay full longer. So that means that you're eating a half of what you always do. You're able to do some fasting. You're able to, people say, I'm just not thinking about food all the time. And then they can start to make better choices, be mindful. And and that's the sort of stuff that we're wanting to talk to people about. Most people know what to eat. You know, they've got great health literacy, you know, but it's it's using tools that um, help people to... um, yeah, not be so hungry and, and you know fight against the body basically, and um, yeah, and and with it, you know, lose weight. So it's a we we see our patients regularly, and we give them lots of support um, because, as I say to all of my patients, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint, mm. and you know, there's going to be hiccups along the way, you know, roadblocks. Um, and saboteurs and you know people will their weight will plateau and then we'll have to work through why has um, your weight plateaued there's a couple of things then what you were saying that I thought was interesting one was um, you said that people are actually thinking about food less mm-hmm. yep so um, what are the sort of um, psychological um, things that that make yep. us obese and that you can yep. work on, because because I imagine that the way that we mm. think about our bodies, the way that, and I, um, I've also heard that people who've suffered, you know, extreme trauma or abuse, mm. or likely to be obese. Um, so, yep. what what are the impacts of all those psychological effects? Oh, absolutely. Um, so um, many. So first of all, um, it, anxiety and depression as illnesses in themselves can increase people's appetite. They because a lot of people are emotional eaters, and and these are the things that we uncover along the way. Um, I say to my patients, this is a journey, and it's actually a journey of self discovery, of self awareness, because we're going to find along the way what are the roadblocks. So often, I will find I'll have an undiagnosed anxiety, I'll have an undertreated depression. So. And, you know, it is, and what these things do is, you know, like anxiety in itself can increase your cortisol levels, which increases your insulin release, which therefore puts you in, you know, the fat making mode. Um, Or just you're an emotional eater and you can't stop that. You can't override it, even though you've got good appetite suppression. But if you actually can treat the anxiety and depression, people have more control. Mm. As as for trauma, um, Absolutely. It's uh, fascinating, um, you know, the, the role of trauma as well. And that trauma can take, you know, m- many um, forms. For example, it could be neglect as a child. So some children, for example, have been starved. And so food becomes something very important for them. They could be, um, there could be a form of abuse. And so food becomes a f- form of solace. I've got one very interesting patient who, developed uh, very young and um, received a lot of unwanted attention from men. And so um, she became obese to 
make herself sort of ugly, if you like. I mean, she wasn't ugly at all, but um, in her mind. Um, and But what that led to then was um, diabetes. And so then I started to look after her. I mean, she's in her 40s. And I had to get her to see a psychologist first to be able to break down that um, trauma of what happened when she was 12 and to work through that to say it's okay to lose a little bit of weight you know it's you know it was so embedded and in, in her her psyche so that's the sort of interesting stuff that comes out um through this uh um journey is to understand what are the things holding people back what are the psychological things that are holding people back um some people are never full they're always hungry um, which is just fascinating, and they go on to these medications and they go, oh, my God, for the first time in my life, I'm not hungry. Mm. Um, and then interestingly, the other side of the coin of that is a lot of the medications that were used to treat psychological uh, problems, so the antidepressants, actually cause weight gain as well. So, mm. you know, that you know, it's so you've got to be very careful with your choices of um, medications mm. with patients. Mm. Gosh, what about things like um, loneliness or fe- people feeling like they don't have, uh, they've got a lack of purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think again, I think that all comes under the the, the um, mental health bracket, actually. Um, so you know, I mean, in the end as well, if we had a patient coming in that was like that, we would try to go down through all the layers and see what's really going on, and um, yeah, and obviously we try to make suggestions and you know and um, help them with all that sort of stuff. I've got a, I've got a patient like that at the moment. Actually, she's actually done very very well. And she's uh, lost, she was 110 kilos and she's now 68. Gosh. uh, And she's got severe mental health issues. And she looks fantastic now and... But my God, the it, those are the issues that are all there and, um, you know, you just got to give people ongoing support, um, you know. So I see her fortnightly to, mm. you know, <laughs> counselling and stuff like that. Mm. So are you doing a lot of the psychological counselling or do you? Um... Uh, yeah, yep. I mean, it's part of the job. Um, what I try to do is, to, again, is just to find out what's going on. Why Why are you not achieving your goals? What are the things that are stopping you? So, yes, I do do a lot of the counselling. Obviously, if I need, if people need a lot more specific counselling, I'll refer on because, mm. you know, we're a bit, time limited (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and um so so you tell you you say to people that they there's some um uh, intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. yeah and then there's sometimes there's sometimes medication and what are the other things that that you, you recommend to people uh so we have a number of medications um so uh i always say to people you know treating you know, weight uh, weight issues is a bit like diabetes and high blood pressure and things like that. We may need two medications. So often, 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 we've got people on a couple of medications. Mm. Um, we don't emphasise exercise um, 
a lot of people will come in and they go, oh, doc, I'm so sorry. I've been slack. I've been exercising and all this sort of stuff. And I go, stop. Exercise is a very small role in weight management, unless you're a marathon runner or triathlete or something like that. Um, it's not to say that it's not important. It's very important because it's very important for heart disease and diabetes and depression and general well-being, but it doesn't have a role in weight loss. And the reason for that is um, 80% of our body's metabolic, uh, so 80% of our energy is used up just in our metabolic rate in just living. 10% is uh, digestion of our food and the other 10% is exercise, you know. So, um, so we... So uh, what I find is when patients come in, so say you've got somebody in front of you that's 150 kilos and they've tried everything and they're absolutely desperate and you're their last ditch chance. And, you know, so first of all, you've got to be very non-judgmental and then um, and they don't want to hear the eat less, move more message. So what we do is we, you know, at the end of the consultation, they go, you didn't tell me I have to do exercise and you didn't tell me what I have to eat. And I go, I know because that's not what this is about. Because in the old, in the end, ultimately, this is about the experience of losing weight, and it's got to be something that's forever. It's got to be sustainable, and it's got to be. You know, they are the captain of their ship. We're there helping them to make it easy. So we give the strategies of like, well, how would you, how would you like to, you know, do your diet? So we give people options. You know. And we might move through them and do different ones. We, we tend to start with the intermittent fasting and then we might add some low carbs to that. And then some people might need to add shakes. Um, so, yeah, so then then we'll unpick things and we'll go, ooh, alcohol. And, <laughs> and, you know, so we keep looking for those saboteurs. And then eventually people will tell you the truth that they've, you know, they're emotionally eating and they eat a packet of Tim Tams and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, um, uh, yeah, so so the treatment and... And, and when, they, the when, other- they, when they do that, so when they say to you, well, actually, I'm eating a packet of Tim Tams a day. Mm. So then how do you how do you react to that? How, how does that get unpicked? Oh, I just say, why? What's happening? What's there that is making you do that? I mean, this is an obvious saboteur um, for you. Um, you know, I ha- another actually another interesting one is sleep apnea because, of course, when you're obese, you become you get um, sleep apnea. You have poor quality sleep. People are tired. They drink Coke and Red Bull. What does that do? Keeps the weight back on. So, and and people don't open up immediately for all of their naughtinesses, but you just <laughs> let them, you know, come out, and then you. But then you go, okay, well, look, what can we do about this? You know, um, let's focus on, you know, these particular things. So, so, so that's why it's like a, a, you know, a journey of self-awareness. And so the people get to understand themselves and what stopped them for so long losing weight. So you'd say to them, okay, let's, let's focus on you um, eating a packet of Tim Tams a day. Mm-hmm. And then... And then you would say, well, um, so when are you doing that? Are you doing that at a time when you're feeling a bit tired yeah. or, yeah? Yeah, tired or are you stressed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, or, you know, I'm I'm having problems with my kids, you know, and they just make me crazy and so I, you know, have a packet of Tim Pams or something like that. And so it's about working through 
the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, don't say to people, when I say you can't have your Tim Tams, I'm not going to say that at all. And I'm going to say, well, maybe maybe don't have a whole packet, have one mm. or two mm. or, or, or if you really can't control it, just don't, you know, don't buy them, you know, because... Mm. Um, and, but but in the end, they might substitute it with something else. So you've then got to work through the why, and um, yeah, and often that will just entail maybe some counselling, maybe putting them on an antidepressant, maybe um, even just acknowledgement. Some you know, um, and it's actually funny. Some of the medications actually make the food tastes yucky. So. <laughs> Yeah. So what I might do is go, right, you're going on this tablet because it's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> and how often do you how often do you need to see people generally? Uh, fortnightly. A fortnightly initially, just to get them used to the medications and to the side effects. And then we and then um, once people are on the straight and narrow monthly. And yeah, and I've got we've got lots lots of people who've achieved their weight goals and we just catch up every three months and you know, our and the so exciting things is you do their blood tests and they're no longer diabetic and they wow. take them off blood pressure tablets and they're yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. It's, and they feel good. And 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 that was actually the other thing I wanted to say was that um with respect to exercise, um what people Again, I don't talk about it in the first sort of few consultations, but people start losing weight and they come and they go, oh, Ketlin, I feel like exercising. I mm-hmm. want to get out there. And it's just fantastic because, you know, the, it's coming from them. So it's we do not tell people what to do. We are there to be there, guide them in a multidisciplinary uh, approach um, to, but what I'm, yeah, what, I'm, to, what I'm hearing when you say you know, it's coming from them is that they, they've actually learnt to live again. Yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, that lady, the 150 kilos, um, I put her on Saxenda and I saw her a fortnight later and she'd lost um, like four kilos or something like that. And she said, I have not felt as good as this in years. Wow. And wow. Um, last time I saw her, I think she was down 12 kgs. And just dirty, great big grin on her face, and mm. yeah, it was, it's it's so fantastic. Mm. So and it changes people's the whole way people think about themselves, how they think about their life. Oh, absolutely! Oh. And 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 I love the whole thing that you can just focus on one condition. You can focus on weight management, and it's so far-reaching. So um, it's sort of the opposite way, you know, normally when you're like looking after diabetes, you know, you're doing this, this, this and this, but um, lots of medications and, you know, but here you do one thing, get the weight down and you are treating blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, um, mood, uh, self-esteem. They don't have aches and pains when they walk anymore. They may not need to have their surgery. Um, Just it's, and it's just lovely to, just that it's one condition, but it's far-reaching. Mm, mm. So, yeah, it's really changing people's lives. It is just by yeah. changing one thing. Yeah, yeah. Can you give some? Um, maybe um, I mean, I'd love to hear some more success stories because they're so fantastic. If you can think of any. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. We've got. Um, interestingly, um, I've got lots of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people doing it and they respond so well to these medications. Mm. Um, uh, I've got one girl, she's dropped 20 kgs, uh, Aboriginal girl, um, 
Uh, just she's she? just pardon. How old is she? Uh, uh, Forty nine, mm. and um, multiple medical problems. But uh, you know, just you know, feeling so much better. We're going to go and try very soon to get the next ten twenty down. So I now treat her husband and I now treat her sister and <laughs> and it sort of goes out like that um I think I mentioned that lady who was getting the counseling um because of um that trauma when she was about 12 uh I we ultimately got her on the right combination of medications where she keeps her weight down but her diabetes control is now perfect so that's um just been amazing um yeah I mean what what I think is fantastic is you know the number of people we've got coming back just for three monthly checkups and mm. you know and they um and we've just you know people rave and their friends are all coming in we've got little you know like friend parties I'm <laughs> 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 oh, just trying to think of um yeah, that lady, 110 to 68. A lot of people don't have to be wildly obese. You know, a lot of people are, say, 78 kilos, but um, they just want to get back down to 65. Um, so I've got one patient who's very much like that. She, I'd always be seeing her for her lower back pain, hasn't had lower back pain since she's lost her weight. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's just... Um, they're all just sort of little stories. It's all about that individual thing for all of them about what's, um, you know, how it affects them. It's a very personal journey for people. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm privileged enough to join them. Mm. So there's four of you in Brisbane. Yes, um, yeah, and four doctors have had the training. Yeah. Four doctors have had this training. And how many in the rest of Australia? Uh, there's 36 other doctors that have had this training. Um, the sort of a lot of the obesity work's done in Melbourne. Um, there's a, a very well-known professor, Joe Prieto, who's oh, just an absolute mover and shaker, and um, he he's run the first obesity clinic. It's probably in Australia, but it's in Melbourne, and um, there's other obesity clinics down there. So they're the real movers and shakers down there, and they're just wanting that message to come out to to um, the rest of Australia because, I mean, most doctors are still giving the wrong message. Mm. So mm. unfortunately. Mm. And if we were going to eat, I mean, if you if you did have somebody who came in and said, doctor, can you just tell me exactly what I need to do, exactly what mm-hmm. I should be eating, what I should mm-hmm. be, how I should be exercising, uh, when yep. I should be eating, what would you, what would you say to them? Okay. Um, so I would say to, I actually have some printouts and stuff like that of, uh, if somebody wants to be very specific. So I would probably put them on intermittent fasting. So I would say you finish your dinner at seven o'clock, but you can't have anything else. And um, then you fast. You can have water. You can have, you know, if you're a bit hungry, you can have a handful of nuts or something like that, or a bit of um, roast chicken. And then you don't have breakfast. You can have again water. You can have coffee and tea with no milk and sugar. And then you can break your fast at say eleven o'clock, eleven a.m. And then at eleven a.m. you would have, uh, depending how hard you want to go. If you want to go really hard, you have a shake. Um, that's a very low energy diet, but what otherwise, be, you just, what would be in the shake? Oh, the shake would be um, their OptiFast. They're sort of a specific um, 
weight loss medic uh, weight loss shake um, that have been designed to have the optimum uh, nutrients because ultimately food is about nutrition and energy and so a lot of people even with obesity are actually malnourished because they're eating the wrong food. So when you're on these, you know, when we're trying to lose weight, we want to make sure that people are still well-nourished and so have all the vitamins and minerals. So that's what these OptiFasts have is a um, right amount of of those things. Um, But otherwise, if they didn't want to do that, I'd say um, have a low-carb meal. So a low-carb meal and I would, you know, there's a choice of proteins that you can have. So chicken, pork, um, lean meat, uh, fish, um, tofu. um, And then I have a list of uh, vegetables that are all low-carb. So, um, and I say, you know, go for your life. You can have, you know, nearly as much as you like of those. Um, And then try to avoid snacking. And then have a good dinner at about six o'clock, finishing at seven or whatever. And, um, and yeah, and so then, you know, we talk about things like um, mindfulness. So we say, well, and when you finish your meal, oh, the other, when we start the medication as well, we ask people to have half meals because um, otherwise you'll feel sick. You get reflux from if you overeat because the medication really guides you on how much you can and can't eat as well. It doesn't make you're not hungry, but it also makes you full really quickly. So we talk to people about mindfulness because what we want to do is teach people how to eat again properly. And so what that means is that you have your meal and before going for seconds, you go, am I really hungry or do I just want it? And so it's so that's what we would teach and talk about. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so that, that's a sort of fairly prescriptive one. Um, you know, when we start initially, I, I like people just to get a feel for it and then we can start, you know, honing it down once they feel more confident. People need to lose a bit of weight first before they um, are confident um, in what you're doing uh, because I don't want to be just another person that tells them what to do. Um, because it's got to fit in with their lifestyle. Yeah. I actually often re- relate to the to the French, the Parisian women, and I say, Parisian women can eat what they like. They just eat small amounts. <laughs> That's why they're skinny. <laughs> so I don't say yeah. you can't have cheese. I don't say you can't have wine. We don't take anything out, mm. you know. Mm, it's just I think what the Parisian women do, one of, one of the things that um, the French do is that um, – food is important and taste is important and not eating between meals is extremely mm-hmm. important. Yep. Yep. So there's not yep. four o'clock. There's no, there's no cakes at four o'clock. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, That's uh, yeah. Absolutely. No yeah. snacking. No and if snacking. you are going to, and if you are going to snack, it's not a carbohydrate. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are the things that we talk about. So if you, oh, a handful of nuts is okay. If you, oh, but have a glass of water or have a cup of tea or this or that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just and it's just trying to introduce new habits and say, and this is what you're going to be doing forever. But we also say there's flexibility. If on the weekend you, you know, you know, you want to have breakfast with people, that's fine, but maybe skip dinner. Mm. So, um, you know, just it's it's rethinking um, food, and and interestingly, one of the other saboteurs are friends and family. So, you know, you you might go out with a bunch of friends and you, you know, everybody else orders a big meal and you have a small meal. Oh, you're not eating enough. You know, it's like, well, no, this is all I want to eat. 
you know, or family. You know, a lot of people express love through food. Mm. And, you know, I've got one patient whose husband is a chef and it's taken a long time, you know, to get him to understand that she doesn't need to eat so much. Mm. She's got plenty of fuel on board. That's what I always say to them. You've got plenty of fuel on board. We just need to use that fuel. You know, you don't. Um, so, yeah, it's, mm. so that family and friends are definitely can be a, um, and society as well, you know. I mean, I've heard about um, when when it's, it was our birthdays this week, this weekend. Mm. And so my husband was saying, well, what are we going to eat? We should have a really fantastic meal. And I was thinking, well, um, actually, mm. isn't it more important the action, just the people being around the table and the conversation that we have, you know, what mm. we actually eat is it's an expression of saying we're going to do something special because to make it a special occasion. But mm. yeah, the thing that's important is who is around the table and what you're talking about and how you're interacting mm. and all those sort of things. That's, um, that's right. It's the yeah. experience, isn't it's it, experience. rather than, yeah. you know. And I, and I say that in weight management, it's not about the numbers. This is about the experience. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah it is. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, we're human. We, we're, part of our culture is to have feast and famine, you know, Christmas time and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I say to people, don't worry about Christmas. Aim for weight maintenance. I said, most people do lose weight anyway. Um, but don't get too worried about it. That is the time of feast. But then after that, okay, we have to do a bit of famine. Mm. So mm. Mm. We've covered a huge amount. Um, is there anything that we've forgotten? Um, I am not sure. Um, I suppose the only thing for me is, and I, I'd probably just reiterate, I've already said it, is just to say that, um, the way we're treating obesity and overweight now is completely different from before. We need to do it in a non-judgmental and uh, remove stigma um, because ultimately it is a genetic and hormonal condition. It's not people's fault. They're not lazy. Um, and, uh, you know, that it's a journey of, you know, really a journey of self-discovery and it takes time. And, you know, commitment and dedication, but, you know, within the right setting and with, especially with some of these medications, they're, they're terrific tools um, uh, that we can actually successfully treat obesity and overweight and make a really, you know, a big impact on people's lives. And uh, it's an absolute privilege to do it. Mm. Well, thank you, Caitlin. I mean, I, I think it's, I hope a lot of people hear the message because I think when you say how much you can change people's lives and how much you can change their feelings about themselves, I mean, it, and how you can change their all their other medical conditions, um, mm. it is just such an important message. So um, I think it's fantastic you're doing this work and I hope that a lot of other doctors hear about it and a lot of, a lot of other people hear that hear hear the message that you that you're saying so it's hmm so do i <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so it's um yeah it's it's really it's really great mm. so great well thank you you're very welcome i hope you've enjoyed this episode of brave new women 
certain podcast sites such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Podchaser let you leave a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more people will listen and the more these women's stories will be shared. So I'd really appreciate it if you could. Thanks for listening.